AVXL episode 144 was recorded on June 26, 2021. A little help with an outdoor projector project. Two subs or one 120 hertz upgrade for OLED monitors. Something to remember when you got that monitor calibrated. THX Dominus certified speakers hit in the U.S. and so much more. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I have a, like, $60 power amp on my desktop right now, powering speakers. More Sweet. next week. <laughs> I also have a $600 receiver powering some speakers over there. Also more next week. Awesome. Um, I like it. I'm delighted. Well, it's kind of crazy, right? We've we've talked about our beliefs that many audiophiles are mistaken when they trash talk class D amplification. Um, <laughs> you know, we've been talking about that since we saw a TI demo uh, at CES years and years ago. But it's kind of crazy how good some of this stuff is now uh and it's also kind of crazy what you can do with not much money uh in terms of performance but again we'll leave that maybe for next week um you uh you you had a great note you put in a friendly reminder when you have your monitor your, your projector your desktop your monitor whatever uh your your television calibrated what's the first thing you should do rob you should take note of what those settings are, if possible, and write down what the individual settings were, just in case something ever gets reset. It's not something you can do with every TV out there, like, say, if right. you get one of the custom lookup tables programmed on your LG OLED. Unfortunately, there's no way to back up something like that. But if you're going into, say, a monitor or a television to do some adjustments particularly with the color mixing or the white balance controls. You come up with that sweet, sweet calibration that's just looking sharp. Write those freaking numbers down. <laughs> Write them down somewhere. I use a uh, direct display control app on computers quite a bit, mostly for just quickly changing how bright the monitor is, depending on the room lighting. But one of my favorite apps actually somehow reset the RGB controls on one of my monitors. And... Uh, it was at that moment I then realized that I had not written down what that setting was, and it kind of botched my whole color, everything. So anyway, oh, I'll, have no. to, I'll have to redo that, and it's making me consider maybe my methodology as well. But anyway, if you do use a personal computer and you have the desire to control your monitor without having to go into the monitor's actual controls... DDC apps are sweet, but this one I've been using for years called Click Monitor DDC, I'm not really sure yeah. what happened, but it looks to be abandoned. Uh, the website is 404, and everyone who's linking to that, I, I, I see nowhere else it's moved to, and I hope everything's okay, but it kind of saddens me. That's one of the best freeware apps out there for, at least on the Windows side of things, for doing anything you could possibly want to do to your monitor for the most part, uh, uh, control-wise, and being able right. to create things like hotkeys and other convenience functions for getting the most out of it. And the fact that it was free, I think at one point I even contacted the author and said, hey, man, I'd like to just donate five bucks or something. And he's like, no, I just sent it to a charity. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm like, okay. 
Sorry. No. <laughs> There's a version that, that's dated June 2020 up on Major Geeks. And I think the portable version is still up on the web archive. But I I think it, I think he's just gone. I think so. Um, version yeah. 7.0 was the last one I had and the one I'm continuing to use. So I don't know. It's a mystery to me, but best thoughts. That happens with freeware and shareware sometimes. Stay optimistic. Ah, oh, well. So much joy. So much pain. <laughs> you got an upgrade. Well, actually, you did get an upgrade. Good news, really, for the LG C1 and G1 owners, those 2021 OLED TVs. There is a recent update, as reported by the good folks at FlatPanelsHD.com, that brings 120 hertz Dolby Vision support hmm. to the TVs. And it appears that Xbox Series X owners can rejoice and enjoy some of that sweet high-performance HDR gaming experience with now Dolby Vision support <laughs> up to 120 hertz. LG has noted that 2020 models, the update will be coming soon, although the date has not been announced. And there may even be an update for the 2019 models for TVs like the C9. And speaking of the C9, I noticed that it was updated the other day to version 5.10.4. And I was curious as to what was new. And the good mm -hmm. folks at Reddit were quick to point out that, well, the firmware has brought a fix for HDR at 120 hertz in terms of PC use. If you're looking to do that 1080p 120 hertz, and apparently with HDR use on a PC, there were issues with either lines or degraded resolution or color. Apparently it works perfectly. However, folks with Apple TVs may find that Dolby Vision isn't working the way it should be. And if that is likely the case, I guarantee you LG will quickly push another fix to get that updated. Hopefully sooner than later. So good news for both the 2021 TVs, uh, the 2020 models getting an update later this year for 120 hertz Dolby Vision for the gamers out there. And for the C9 owners, at least, if you're rolling that as a PC display at 120 hertz, everything's fixed. You can do full color and enjoy it. Well... I saw folks even running, I believe, up to 1440p at compressed color, even at 120 hertz. So that's a fascinating use for that display. <laughs> but yeah, if, if suddenly with your C9 OLED, say, you just saw it update, and then suddenly your Apple TV is acting funny with Dolby Vision content, keep in mind that it may very well be that update. And give it a couple of days, and hopefully that will get worked out quickly or sooner than later. What's so another upgrade? Yep. Just whack the side of your LG OLED yeah. several times, performing percussive maintenance. It, it's definitely That's your joke. fault. No. no, 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 no. Do not hit the thing. Um, <laughs> earlier this year, we mentioned Perlis and Audio being the first manufacturer of THX certified Dominus speakers. And I use that voice because uh dominus is a new uh class of thx certification the largest class of thx certification ever quote meant to bridge the gap between large home theater speakers and those used in movie houses worldwide end quote so this is a very very uh large certification uh up to 184 cubic meters of space up to a six meter viewing distance. That's uh, approximately 18 feet for those of us who don't speak in international standard measurements. Um, so basically we're talking about like 20 feet uh, of a viewing distance and 6,500 cubic feet of space. So to put that into perspective, that's an 800 square foot room with an eight foot ceiling. 
which is a little bit bigger than I think the average home theater. In fact, it's it's pretty much the size of my basement, you know, uh, one third of which uh, or a quarter of which contains the home theater area. But I have to have enough base to fill all 6,500 cubic feet. Uh, which is a challenge that I am more than willing to work up to. I also got to say, I, I, uh, they don't go down to 20 hertz, but I'm always amazed by how much bass comes out of those uh, Golden Ear speakers I'm running as my uh, my front left and right. Nice. Uh, I use one of their center channels too. Um, so to put this into perspective, the former largest THX certified performance class was Ultra, which was a mere 85 cubic meters. So Ultra is 85 cubic meters and Dominus is... 184 cubic meters. That's a healthy jump. Uh, and since I know some of you are wondering, uh, there's uh, select, which is like a three meter viewing distance, 57 cubic meters, and compact, i.e. the bedroom one, which is a 2.4 meter viewing distance and 28 cubic meters. If you're trying to make room for that 25 to say 40 foot screen, <laughs> and you need you need audio for a room that size, I, I, this appears to be what they're aiming that at. This right. is decent sizes they're talking about for these are very large sizes for most of these. Yeah, there's a, a really great graphic on THX's room size page. And it's funny, right? Because THX was such a huge deal and THX certification was such a huge deal. And it kind of faded out and Razer bought THX. They released their first consumer project. They've, they've started playing around with the certification. Um, but it's fun to look at like what they recommend on that room size page in terms of when you make the bump from like stereo speakers to 5.1. And, and uh, uh, I'll give you a hint. The really tiny rooms, they're really not telling you to try to put a 7.1.4 uh, <laughs> system inside of there. Um, I guess they're also but, saying, yeah. too, for more reasonable screens, uh, not reasonable, but common, say, like, at least 120 inches, maybe 150 to two, 300-inch screens. Right. And you have the right. room space around that where, yeah, uh, you're going to either have a lot of seating or you need the audio to fill a space like that. That's pretty cool. You now have a certified rating for it. <laughs> <laughs> All of the certified ratings. So for that room size page on the THX website, they break it down by 20-foot CHX certified Dominus. So they do it by the viewing distance. 12-foot THX certified Ultra, 10-foot THX certified Select, 8-foot THX certified Compact. Got and it. then 3-foot THX certified Multimedia for your nook or small office, right? But like Compact is 1,000 cubic feet uh, and an 8-foot viewing distance. Uh, select is 2,000 cubic feet uh, with a 10-foot, approximately 10-foot view. The bedroom, distance. the living room. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, right? The SC7 tower speaker. These are not inexpensive speakers, by the way. These are $8,000 each, 16000 a pair. These are big, spendy speakers designed to fill big rooms. Uh, and they also just uh, added a couple of subwoofers, uh, the S212 and the S215, which are... Offering two woofers with 60 millimeter peak linear excursion, which is a lot of X. Um, that is a hefty amount of travel on there. So it's exciting. <laughs> Bringing the booming sound to any size room. Yeah. I do yeah, appreciate no, that they break up their certifications into uh, very common room sizes. Well, with now the Dominus. I think that's pretty smart. For when the home theater speaker wasn't enough. You need the uh, yeah. mini event speaker. <laughs>
Yeah. I get it. It's funny because we, I like, it. like I said, we talked about this earlier in the year, but now they're finally coming to the United States. Uh, you know, should you be looking for the big speaker for the big room? Uh, they also have some smaller speakers. It scales quite nicely. Yeah. The subwoofers are pretty. I like their design. Anyhow, that's uh, purlistenaudio.com if you want to learn more about that. And uh, not a lot of information. Oh, there's the, the D215S. Let me not ruminate on subwoofers while y'all are listening, because really, um, that's not going to be an exciting use of your ears. <laughs> I do like the look of the speakers. They are pretty. They are pretty. They are pretty. Um, you wanted to kind of follow up one more time talking about Lux and Lumens and Nits and reminding everybody that there's a reason all of these exist. And it's not just, you know, metric versus imperial, but it's actually that these are used to, well, in one case, it is metric versus imperial, but um, <laughs> foot lumens, the measurement that Rob loves to hate. And he cringes every time I use it, but that's the way it's used in all the websites. It's all about the foot Lambert, baby. It was just thinking mostly to myself after that conversation last week. And the one thing I kind of forgot to highlight was that each of those quantities or units is really talking about one specific or unique thing, like you said, right. in terms of light and its interaction with our environment. And just a quick follow-up to that would be just to say that things like lumens, literally the flow of light particles or how many light thingies per second right. are we talking about, that generally is associated with things like lamp modules and light sources, Lux, literally the amount of light that would fall onto a surface. And then we were talking also about like Nitz foot Lamberts or Candela per square meter. That is considered light that is projected or emitted in a specific direction, usually towards a viewer and measured as such. And there's a ton of math and other very specific features of each of those units in a sense of how it needs to be performed, what exactly are we talking about in terms of how the light is moving through the scene and how it's being captured. And there is a terrific article over on Wikipedia that goes over that luminous flux, AKA uh, <laughs> lumens, and then its relationship to all of these. It's nice just to kind of tick through that chart and become illuminated, so to speak, about the various, <laughs> or, you know, you just want to nerd out a little bit more about it. There's all the math in the world and all the science in the world behind that kind of term or a unit or a quantity. Right. And it's good to know some of the background on that. And it's it's just neat. I just a quick point I just wanted to follow up with regarding all of that. Just reminding everyone. Light stuff. That light stuff. Quick follow up on Sennheiser's sale of their consumer division, uh, Jude Mencia. The founder at head-fi.org interviewed Andreas and Daniel Sennheiser around the sale or about the sale and the future of Sennheiser. Uh, the short version is that the the company that purchased Sennheiser, they're consumer-oriented. They're primarily known as a, I'll oversimplify and call them a hearing aid company. Uh, there's no product overlap. They are like Sennheiser in search of a more perfect audio experience for their customers. I remember this. Yeah, Sennheiser's operations, where they are in Germany. So the idea is that these are this is a complementary group that covers a very, very different corner of the audio universe uh, and has a much different, you know, basically a much different customer base. And uh, that uh, Sennheiser should be continuing to make intriguing and delightful products into the future. Uh, as we like to say, uh, <laughs> we wait with bated breath. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I um, remember when we talked about this the first time or many months ago, right. and my, I was at least very happy that the company purchasing 
the consumer side of Sennheiser was, in fact, something that was at least sound related or hearing related or right. audio focused in some way. Like you said, we still Always don't know plus. exactly what the end game will be. We await product with bated breath. <laughs> yeah. Patiently. People say lots of things at different times, and then and then you find out what actually ships or whether or not they have, you know. Everybody is saying nice things, and if you're a huge fan of Sennheiser, it looks like the products are going to be moving forward, but we don't know yet. I've got a nice post from Tim on patreon.com slash AVXL, and thank you, Tim, for being a patron of AVXL. If you would like to become a patron, please go to patreon.com slash AVXL and uh, contribute a little bit towards the upkeep, maintenance, and uh, uh, expenses of this podcast. Tim says, I appreciate all the work you guys put into these shows. To show my gratitude, I bumped up my pledge. Thank you. Keep up the great work. We're going to try. I figured I would take this opportunity to ask a question. You have discussed outdoor projector setups a lot lately. It's always something I've kicked around in my head, but never taken initiative on because I do not know where to start. I have never owned a projector before. My desire is to set up outside in our back deck, and my primary goal is to play movies outside starting at dusk for the kids. I would be looking for a setup that is good enough, but not so expensive that I cry myself to sleep when one of the kids knocks it over. (laughs) Can you give me a quick rundown of the stuff I need? Specific recommendations would be appreciated. This will not be a permanent setup, so convenience of setup and breakdown is a big consideration. When I buy AV equipment, I generally buy big brands and the upper tier equipment. When I go looking in the middle of the pack, I quickly get overwhelmed by the sheer number of options, price points, etc. Does 500 to 1,000 seem like a realistic budget? If it's not, tell me where I need to be to do it right. Thanks for your help and stay well, Tim. Well, thank you, Tim. Yeah. Rob and I were talking about this last week, and I was laughing. This is one of those Google searches, like, you know, outdoor projector, that is just utterly worthless. There's so many listicles. Right. Uh, my personal favorite, like I searched outdoor projectors and then it was like outdoor projectors for 2021. Uh, and there was some really impressive clickbait. I'm pretty sure it's all GPT-3 generated articles at this point. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Saturating Rollingstone.com <laughs> had its list of the best outdoor projectors for 2021. I mean, they might have good recommendations, but most of them, and it's really funny. We look at some of this stuff. There's this amazing hash of specs and manufacturers claims wrapped around an Amazon affiliate link that implies that they have never seen whatever generated this hash of keywords and uh, specs has no idea what they're talking about. My personal favorite was like this $100 battery powered LED projector that was good for a 300 inch screen. And I was like, yeah, right. No, sure. To simplify this, right, you need a projector, you need a, a surface, a screen to project it on, and you need some speakers. Totally. And it doesn't have to be anything insane. And the budget he mentions for right. 500 to to $1,000, that is realistic. That is, you could do it cheaper. And we'll tell you how here in a second. <laughs> well, let's talk about there's There's a lot of projector recommendations out there, right? I think it was uh, Wirecutter had a, has a really nice article on the uh their sort of like their list of the ideal stuff to set up a an outdoor movie theater they were looking at i want to say the epson home cinema 2250 or like a benq gs2 and it was funny the benq gs2 i probably wouldn't recommend that i remember it being kind of super tiny it's like 500 lumens so you have it has to be insanely dark to use it but it, they did note that it was um splash and drop resistant <laughs> 
should not be something you should be worrying about. <laughs> you you know. should be protecting the projector a little better than that. I hit up projectorcentral.com and clicked on what right. are your top rated sub $1,000 projectors. And then right at the top of the list was the Optoma HD 146X. Uh, currently mm-hmm. at a little over 500. I swear I've seen something I thought similar to this where it dips just to about $500 every now and then. A terrific 1080p design, about 3,000 lumens in its default right. uh, super bright mode. And it would be fine uh, for, I think, any kind of setup, really. If you wanted to spend a little bit more, you could get something more gaming-centric with low latency, perhaps, or 4K resolution, or right. a short-throw design for a little more money. But for a simple projector where you can just connect any HDMI source to it and pretty much go, I love that. Since this is considered to be kind of a temporary setup, having a portable screen is helpful, although not necessary. One that I do recommend is something called the Epson Duet. This design's been around for at least 10 years. I Mine's at least a decade old at this point. It's got a nice clamshell design that kind of slides together when you're not using it. And that hard shell keeps the screen and other mechanicals all nice and protected while it's in storage. It's got a great tripod stand. That it's quick to set up and it gives you an 80 inch screen really quickly with mm-hmm. a nice border around it. It's also resizable to 16 by 9 or 4 by 3 if you care. But generally I was using it with a 16 by 9 projector. The fact that it was once set up pretty easy to move around made that great. If you have a decent blank wall or the side of a home or something that would just right. make a good enough screen where you really just don't even need it, that would be one way to save some money right there. Yeah. One of the coolest experiences I had when we were traveling uh, last year, when we were stuffed in the RV last year, is I want to say maybe in Denver or someplace, they were projecting a movie on the side of a building, right? Oh, And cool. the building was gray and, you know... It was it was not the brightest image, but you know somebody had a fairly serious light cannon pointing at this building, doing like a forty foot image on the side of it. That's sweet. It reminds you that you can enjoy some video in almost any environment. The kids aren't probably going to get upset that they're if if you know what I mean. It's ideally you would have sort of a perfect white side on the house. Some people get into doing things like grabbing a king size bed sheet. Uh, and taping it up. If you have a dark house color, it's a problematic. If you have some really, really crazy siding on your house, it can be problematic. If your wall's relatively flat and relatively white, uh, it's going to work fairly well. Exactly. Um, I'd like to throw out like the Yardmaster 2, which is from Elite Screens. A 100-inch version of that sells for about 80 bucks. A 120-inch version of that's in their Cinewhite UHB. That one sells for... 200 bucks, which is a little bit more expensive than the Epson Duet. And what they do is they have a frame. You unfold the frame, you attach the screen to the frame, you stand that up and they can do extension legs for it. It's like probably a 10 minute setup with no tools to put that together. With that elite screen you mentioned, they offer a rear projection screen material. So yeah, consider that as well. It doesn't have to be a front facing projection setup. It could be something where it's actually shining through the screen material with the projector mounted in the back and every projector you look at today. Uh, is going to have a specific function for making the image look right, Uh, being able to reverse it in such a way that makes it look right from being a rear projected image as well. But generally, most folks are going to go with the standard front projection screen. In Tim's case, right, it would depend on the space on the back deck. 
most projectors, and you'd have to verify, I would verify it before you buy it, most projectors have the ability to reverse the image or do the image upside down so you can hang it off of a ceiling or you can set it up as a rear projection unit. The nice thing about a rear projection unit is, you know, when somebody stands up to get more popcorn or go to the bathroom or to get a drink or to get a beer or whatever they're doing, right, they don't walk in front of the of the video. It's convenient if you have the room to do it. And it makes me yeah. kind of think about now that might be a good use for a short throw design, doing it yeah. as a rear projection setup. And then you could have the depth really minimized in terms of your setup without having anybody, yeah. in a sense, being able to walk through the picture, which would be really cool. <laughs> but like you mentioned, though, no matter what screen you're going for, and especially once you know the projector you're considering... Mm -hmm. Go to the manufacturer's website, look up their projection calculator, put in your screen size and get a very right. good mental picture of where the projector will need to be to fill that screen appropriately. You'll need extension cords to get it there. What is your source that's going to power it? Um, totally. And put all those together. Because, you, you know, at the very least, you're going to need a screen or a wall to project it onto. You're going to need a table to sit that projector on that's hopefully of the right size so you can shift the image and get it on there. You're going to need to run power to that table. You're going to make sure the kids aren't going to trip over it. Or, you know, if you're an adult in, in college mode, a, a, that, that slightly intoxicated tequila-swilling friend uh, <laughs> who starts dragging his feet after that fourth tequila. Prevent the trip hazards. It's all fun and games till the projector... Yeah, it's amazing what a roll of duct tape or those really slick roll-out uh, cable... Uh, totally. I don't know what you call those things, little angled cable covers that they sell in the dark corners of the Home Depot. Or if you're even running it across concrete, if you're going to run yeah. a cable like that in any kind of environment, even something like tape, be it duct tape, yeah. gaffer's tape, painter's tape, something just to keep the cable from moving around. And yeah, yeah. And make it as accessible as possible and keep it as out of the way as possible when you're doing that kind of stuff. A... You don't want that projector flying, especially when it's running, uh, especially with a lamp-based projector. It is the right. worst. It, it needs to kind of just sit there and do its thing. And it will do that Lamps very well. do not enjoy being um, dropped. And occasionally they get really irritated when you unplug them at an impromptu moment because, uh, you know. <laughs> and a lot of this stuff we just talked about might be things you already have. So it's not like you have to run out and right. buy an extension cord maybe or a power strip or, you know, uh, or a streaming stick to plug into the device. Or maybe you already have right. a game console that's kind of ready to go. All you need to do is just configure the resolution and the, yeah. the output to the projector. Pop some popcorn, you know, <laughs> a stream. Yeah. A streaming stick can do wonders for this stuff, whether it's a Chrome device or a Roku stick. Those are pretty amazing. If you have decent Wi-Fi where you plan on setting this up. It's ideal as well. If you already have a subscription to cable or some kind of live TV service already, yeah. because then that streaming stick, you can use your favorite, you know, your ESPNs, your ABCs, your whatever sports channels. And right. simply load up their app and watch that content that you're interested in through that streaming device in an outdoor environment quite easily. So you don't, you're not running like a, a 30 foot HDMI cable out to the projector or anything like that. Eliminate those trip hazards. And by going with a low cost projector, that kind of gets you into the realm of right. if, if somebody drops the margarita right on it or the peanut butter goes flying into Painful, it. But not crippling. Yes. <laughs> It isn't like, yes, it, it isn't going to just painful, but not financially crippling. <laughs> and if you are going to have that happen, make sure there's a, a, a video camera set up watching the people no. watching. Uh, never mind. No, uh, no. don't do that. There will be no TikTok videos of this fail. For audio, any soundbar right. or any set of speakers you have, old PC yeah. speakers, 
there's often a, a headphone jack output on most projectors. So you can do analog output. Yeah. It might be RCA left, right. Uh, so you may need an adapter. The cake is a lie and the speakers and the projector are a lie. <laughs> <laughs> They're sometimes quite usable, but if it's a large area or you want yeah. something beyond just a tinny reproduction of voices, uh, yeah, you need something else. The ultra short throw projectors, the speakers built into that tend to be kind of more useful in no small part because they're by the screen and not eight or 10 feet away from the screen. Cause I find it really irritating. Like one of the weirdest home theater setups I was in a friend of mine rigged up, he had speakers in the uh, projector on the ceiling and he used that. So you'd hear the sound coming from above you and these tinny little speakers instead of from the screen. It was temporary, but it was one of those things where you're like, good God, just get some get some computer speakers, get some stereo speakers. This is also one of those areas if you want to have I, I, I obviously I'm 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 you know, the audio geek, but if you have a couple speakers, if you find some cheap speakers on the Facebook Marketplace or, or Craigslist, you know and and like that five, ten year old Denner Morant's AVR for seventy five bucks. It can be nice to have a decent set of speakers up there. Uh, it can really enhance the experience up to the left and right of the projection screen. Or something you can leave outside. <laughs> yeah, it's even better. Uh, <laughs> so Tim, you're gonna need four thousand dollars, an electrician, that'll be another three grand. Um OSHA certification, I kid. But uh no that that Optoma's Optoma's a great deal. I mean, we're talking about five to seven hundred dollars uh if you buy a projector and a screen. Um totally. you know, this is also one of those things where you might want to start with a screen on the wall and if it turns if this is something the kids love. I am also you're gonna laugh when I say this. One of the other problems you can have with outdoor theater environments is in parts of the country where there are more bugs than others. And having spent a lot of time all around the country, there are parts of the country with bigger, more and bigger bugs in the summer. It can be really annoying to have bugs flying in front of the projector or the screen. Good point. Good point. <laughs> However, the nice thing about a portable setup like this, and yeah. I was talking about that Epson Duet screen that's 80 inches. I've had no problem at all setting that up at the end of the living room or in a larger right. room or any kind of space indoors. Be suddenly becomes a secondary TV, usually for gaming or just for any, all the uses we just talked about in terms of, you know, streaming to live TV to whatever, whatever. <laughs> Nothing says you can't bring that portable setup indoors, be it weather related or bug related or cicada related or... <laughs> The cicadas. Oh, Stop the cicadas. I have spiders. Oh, my goodness. Spiders, and I deal with uh, infrared lights or any lights. Insects. Yeah. Insects and lights. You also mentioned consider outdoor lighting. Don't have a floodlight pointing at the viewing area. Oh, uh, yeah. Make sure you can turn off those lights or unscrew the bulb. Totally. Because that can be maddening. Take a critical look at your setup once it's going. And if there's a really easy fix like that, just to suddenly bump up the contrast of the picture you're looking at. Right. Yeah. Just be aware. Or if there's something unavoidable that you can't avoid by either screen positioning or you mm -hmm. know, if you can move the light or not or turn it on or off. Or like you said, just temporarily yeah. disable. There you go. There you go. Hey, another quick shout out to a slightly more expensive projector. Uh, I really want to see this one in, in real life. The uh, budget projector pick from the wire cutter is a BenQ HT2050A which they're basically claiming that is the uh, best color and brightness for under a thousand dollars. Very cool. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing. 
how powerful and the quality what you can get for less than a thousand dollars now is really really impressive keep going projector manufacturers it's almost like a must-have item for anyone with a, even a reasonable home theater setup and a space or desire for a, a secondary display, be it more permanent or temporary. It's just one of those handy AV things to have. Yeah, it is. Other items that are optional, extension, power cord, power strip. <laughs> Costco sells a 12-gauge power cord. I own like six of them because they're fairly inexpensive and they're an actual, having sawed the end off of one to shorten it, they are actually filled with 12 gauge wire. You know, having a great big fat power cord because projectors can suck down a fair amount of wattage, um, zip ties, duct tape, gaffer's tape, painter's tape to keep things tidy for temporary installations to prevent tripping, a streaming stick, something stable to produce the projector on, popcorn. Oh yeah. These are all very good things. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. We got an email from Rob in Staten Island, New York. He says, I, I'm about to pull the trigger on a 65-inch Samsung QN90A for general usage, and I'd like to get a decent soundbar for it. That said, there's a million options out there, and when reading reviews, it gets exhausting. Should I play it safe and get an above-mid-range Samsung soundbar, or should I just go with a Sonos Arc since everyone loves it? Are there other options I should look at? This would be my first soundbar, and I'm trying to avoid getting the bargain bar that either doesn't deliver the bass or fidelity I would like, as well as avoiding overspending on a bar when I could have saved a few hundred and gotten equal performance and possibly better overall sound from an unknown brand. Help. Thanks for your time and advice, Rob in Staten Island, New York. I'm sure there's an unknown brand soundbar that has fantastic performance. I'm sure that we haven't found it yet. It basically comes down to, yes, there's a lot of love for the Sonos Arc. Rob will get into that in a second. Or buy a Vizio. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Why don't you talk about the Arc for a minute? That's going to be in the uh, in the upper tier of soundbar options out there, especially if right. you consider pairing it with something like a Sonos Sub or a pair of their 1SL speakers if you're looking for like a true 5.1 slash upfiring Dolby Vision compatible audio experience like that. I find the Arc is excellent, especially with the variety of updates they've provided since its introduction. It's addressed every little concern I've had with it. And I find the audio quality is just superb. And I'm also a super fan of the app. Their application is terrific for music management, music exploration, streaming sources. A, a lot of functionality is there, and I find it's mm -hmm. really, really cool. I, like you said, though, other companies also produce very high-end soundbar options, including Vizio themselves with their $1,000 Elevate and its right. multi-channel design. Taking a look over at ratings, they list quite a few other brands, including one Samsung that's highly rated, the uh, Q950T. I say that almost no matter what soundbar you're thinking about getting, consider mounting that soundbar to the TV itself. And even if it's not wall mounted, you can get a kit that will allow you to use either the right. wall mount bracket or the mounting points on the back of the TV or something like a kickstand that sits on top of the TV. And can you simply just set a smaller soundbar there? It sounds like for your setup uh, with a 65-inch screen, something like one of the longer right. soundbars I would prefer for the stereo separation. It really comes down to what your budget is. And if you have the Samsung TV as well, which you do, that makes for a nice pairing. You know those are going to play really nicely together. Right. There's a lot of good options out there, but... Especially for wall-mounted TVs, I absolutely love picking up a universal bracket for mounting a soundbar to it. Especially for articulating TVs, 
where when you turn it left or right, the soundbar is just, you know, right there along the bottom or the top edge of the screen, and it continues to point right in that same direction. And it kind of cleans up the look of everything as well, gets it out of the way. It's not right. always the easiest install to get that just right <laughs> for getting that soundbar just, you know, how you want it to look either on the top or the bottom edge of the screen. But once it's set up, it's generally not something you have to mess with too much. And I like it a lot. If you find yourself in a Best Buy or a Costco and and, and you just want something now, right? I'd, I'd say the Sonos Arc and the Elevate are particularly attractive. If you have a smooth ceiling, those those both include Atmos upfiring speakers. Um, if you do not have a smooth ceiling, if you have a cathedral ceiling, if you have a popcorn ceiling, if you had a lot of cruft on your ceiling, um, the upfiring Atmos stuff is not going to work, and you may not want to spend the extra money for that feature built in. Vizio M series is their, the Elevate is their top of the line. The M series is their kind of mid-fi setup. I hate to use the phrase mid-fi, but their, their middle expense setup and the Vizio V series is their budget setup. The V series is all really good. Um, it's not as good as the more expensive stuff, um, but it is still going to be vastly better than the speakers that are in the television. And even their inexpensive ones that are like 150, 200 bucks, you're going to get a, a small subwoofer, a couple of rear surround speakers along with that sound bar. Can you do better? Yes. But for $250, probably not. You know, you're talking about something with like the, the V series 5.1 sound bar from Vizio, the V51H6. It's like 4.6 stars and 1,891 reviews on Best Buy. It's 250 bucks. Um, you know, uh, I've heard some good things about Polk. Polk does a lot of stuff that sounds fantastic for the money. Any of those you buy is going to have uh, a better experience than the speakers that came from the factory. I'm also fascinated. There's like a Nakamichi's uh, doing something called the Shockwave. This is up on ratings.com. Uh, the Nakamichi Shockwave Ultra 9.2. Shockwafa. Which is a dual subwoofer. <laughs> Shockwafa. I don't know. I'm just yeah, saying. I'm not comfortable with saying that. Uh, <laughs> I know. Not at all. But it's it's got two wireless subwoofers. Excellent. That's another one where it's got, let's see, 3,216 ratings on Amazon. 4.5 out of 5 stars. So, you know, and again, when you have two subwoofers, you can experiment with the placement on those, uh, maybe two up on the front wall or to the left and right or in opposite corners to try to minimize the loss of bass or sub-bass to your room. Hopefully, that helps you out, Rob. There's a lot of good options. I also got to say, we, we have one, two, three, four, five... Five upstairs rooms, six upstairs, every room upstairs, all the bedrooms, the living room, the dining room, the kitchen all have a, a like a Sonos speaker in them. I've oh, got a Sonos cool. amp downstairs. So there's there's a lot of love for Sonos in got my the family. Whole but I have a full, you know, 5.1.4, soon to be, actually technically 5.3.4, but that's a weird conversation for another day uh, in my home theater room. My previous soundbar was the Sonos Beam, and I believe that's about a $400 soundbar. It's about half the price of the Arc. Right. I definitely prefer how the Arc sounds over that, especially for bass. And it's just a bigger speaker with more drivers, yeah. so it's, you can't even compare those two. If you are looking for a more impressive audio experience... Between those two, I would definitely say go with the Arc. You, you just have to spend the money there yeah. if you're going to stick with something like a Sonos. Something worth uh, perusing, right? The Arc sells for $800. If you go to 
sonos.com to their refurbished page they've got the arc for oh it's out of stock again but it was back it was down at like 640 bucks for a factory refurbished sonos arc that's a that's a big chunk of savings on that thing worth considering the other viewer question, Brendan emailed ask at aviexcel.com. He says, I am running a 5.1 setup using KEF T301s for the left, right, and center, T101 for surrounds, and a T2 subwoofer. I had a very similar setup. I'm looking, Brendan writes, to add a bit more oomph to the low end, mainly looking at enhancing the movie viewing experience. I'm also looking for something that blends well with the T301s. I have a crossover set to 120 hertz to try and blend the response between the sub and speakers, as recommended by Sound and Vision on their review. Let me pause here for a second on Brendan's question. So the 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 T301s, the T101s, they are a a wall mounted or surface wall mounted speaker that is probably less than an inch deep. You know, it's the height varies depending on which model you're looking at. Ooh. But they are designed to be a very low profile, soothing, uh, non irritating speaker to mount in an in an environment where maybe speakers would not be welcome. <laughs> gotcha. And they do a really good job. They look great. Damn, they look good. I do recommend that 120 hertz <laughs> crossover point because they do not have much bass at all. Uh, the bass drops off uh, fairly high. Uh, I will also say I love those speakers. I lived with those speakers for the better part of two or three years. Um, and then when I started playing around with uh, the ELAC um, speakers when I went to the debut, I reminded I was reminded of how much I like having a lot more air being moved. Uh you know, and it's also, I was also in a very, very large room right. for the T301s, in the but end. Uh, it's something, it's something to consider. They're, they're a really amazing speaker that are really easy to install in most environments, and they are designed to be surface mounted on a wall, so that's a big plus. So Brendan says, I'm looking to spend around four to $500. There are currently a couple of KEF T2 subs floating around used for about 400 bucks. Would it make more sense to add an additional T2 switching to a dual sub setup or replace my T2 with something like an RSL Speedwoofer or 10S, a wire cutter recommendation, and run a single subwoofer setup? Placement options are limited by wife approval, so I can only do a dual sub setup with T2s as they are thin enough to stash a second sub behind the couch. And he actually sent a diagram of the pre-approved locations uh, for subwoofer placement. Where to hide your subwoofer? I heard it probably isn't a great idea to run mismatched sub setups, but I would be open to running as a mismatched dual sub setup, slashing the T2 behind the couch, excuse me, stashing, not slashing, the T2 behind the couch, and putting the RSL speedwoofer in the main sub area. Just not sure if the RSL KEF mix would sound worse than having two KEF T2s. For reference, my AVR is dead in 3312CI, which has two sub-outfoots. Thanks for the help, Brendan. Brendan's got a big space, right? Uh, it's 16 by 16 feet. Uh, it is open to the kitchen. He's got limited options regarding his location, so he can't really... He basically, he can put a sub in one corner. He can fit an extra sub behind the couch if it's at T2, which is a very... It's about six, eight inches deep. All right he can't optimize the base output from the subs by locating them in the optimal location. It's here or here, period, end of discussion. Here's the thing about the T2 subwoofers. They are not exactly base monsters. They start to fall off around 50 hertz. They're down 5 dB by 35 hertz and 10 dB by 30 hertz. So, you know, they make a huge difference with the T301 and T101 wall-mounted speakers. I've lived with them, right? Uh, the T2, you know, the speakers sound good. They sound vastly better with a subwoofer, and they sound even more better with a, a more serious subwoofer than the T302. The T2 really functions more as a woofer 
for the T301s than uh, a subwoofer that goes deep into the sub bass. Um, you know, and that's kind of the whole point <laughs> of, of Brendan's emails that he wants he wants help, right? Because he's he has a modest right. subwoofer which is designed to work with these speakers that don't have much bass at all in a fairly large room. So something to think about, doubling the subs should be like plus 6 dB on the bass. Uh, that gives you more audio to fill that big room. I like that. Uh, having two subs in two different locations means different room modes, so they might fill each other's weak spots if you get lucky. Uh, something else I thought about, those, those T2 subs are so slim, you might actually be able to fit it under that sectional couch, uh, and that would give you some more room to play around with it. Depending on how the couch is constructed, these T2 subs are black, uh, you could put some feet on them and lay them down flat on the floor and hide it under uh, hide it under the couch. That would give you an extra, you know, eight or ten feet on one wall and eight or ten feet out into the room to experiment with location, looking for the perfect subwoofer experience. I like that. Yeah, uh, it's good that you found some Kef T2s used for 400 bucks because they sell for about $750 new, uh, and that's about you know nearly twice what the RSL Speedwoofer 10S costs. Um, so the RSL Speedwoofer is not the biggest, baddest bass, but it sounds fantastic, and so it starts to drop off around 30, 32 hertz, and it's down 10 dB at 20 hertz when you look at CEA 2010 charts. So you will get stronger bass going much lower with the Speedwoofer than you will with the T2. Uh, it'll cover that 120 hertz crossover for the T301s, no problem, I think, looking at the charts, assuming I'm not, uh, you know, insane looking at the charts, which is entirely a possibility, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. If you want more movie thud, I'd probably save upgrading the subwoofer to something bigger or more powerful, uh, you know, the RSL or Shoes, uh, Shoes entry-level subwoofer, SVS monolith, all have some pretty serious subwoofers. The monoliths are probably too big to fit in your room, uh, given the location that the spouse has dictated, but Sue's entry level, uh, when it's back in stock or the RSL 10S, mostly because it's going to deliver more impact down low for those movie experiences, the thuds, the crashes, the earth disintegrating because, you know, of whatever terrible disaster is going on. Always good. You know, the downside is that Sue is back ordered indefinitely. Um, the RSL Speedwoofer, you can order now for August delivery, like we mentioned last week. SVS has subwoofers in stock. Uh, Monolith has subwoofers in stock, but not the 10-inch, which is, I think, the only one that would fit in your room based on the picture you sent. I'd get a bigger, badder subwoofer that goes down lower for movie purposes rather than doing a second T2. That's my thought. Hopefully that helps. <laughs> Good advice. We got more questions to answer on next week. Uh, I'm going to be playing around with some amplifiers. We'll talk about those next week. Uh, again, it's kind of amazing what an inexpensive amplifier costs these days. It's kind of amazing what you get for the money. Home theater for all, baby. Yes. <laughs> yes. Damn it. <laughs> got a question for us, email ask at avxcel.com. You can tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at avxcel. And uh, if you want to add a hashtag, hashtag AskAVXL uh, works to help us find you. But uh, yeah, definitely tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton or email AskAVXL.com. Those are the fastest and most direct ways to get us, unless you're a patron. And if you're a patron, again, thank you so much. Patreon.com slash AVXL is the place to go for that. You can post there too. Indeed. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.